Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 301. Today's topic is Des Moines Clean Energy. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback about this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So let's look at an article from Inside Climate News from January 14, 2021. The article is entitled, Des Moines Just Set a New Bar for City Clean Energy Goals. Now, Des Moines is the capital of Iowa. It's a city of about 200,000. This article is by Dan Guerino, G-E-A-R-I-N-O. says, the Des Moines City Council voted 7-0 to Monday in favor of a resolution that sets a goal of reaching 24-7 carbon-free electricity by 2035 making it probably the first city in the United States and maybe the first in the world to pass a plan that emphasizes a target of relying solely on clean energy around the clock. The goal will require a combination of carbon-free sources and ditching fossil fuels altogether. The city's approach is in contrast to a more common policy of cities moving toward 100% renewable energy by generating renewable energy or by buying renewable energy credits to offset whatever fossil fuels they continue to use. It says Des Moines Mayor Frank County said the measure is a response to the rising urgency of climate change. We have seen time and time again how local governments have the burden of dealing with extreme and more frequent events caused by weather and climate change, he said, prior to the city council's vote on Monday. We need to play a bigger role in sustainability, mitigation, and adaptation. Now, as I will make clear as we go through this, I'm skeptical that there is any such thing as renewable energy. I mean, I kind of know what they're talking about, but I don't think any form of energy is entirely renewable. And I don't think any form of energy is entirely clean. And I question whether uh, wind energy and solar power are relatively clean. I mean, I would say, yeah, they're relatively a little bit cleaner than fossil fuels, but what we need to do is not to maintain the same levels of energy consumption. We need to dramatically reduce our levels of energy consumption so that we need less energy of all kinds. I would assert for example, that we could eliminate half of our economy by eliminating the industries that don't do anybody any good. Or if they do any good at all, they do a lot more harm than good. The industries I'm talking about are the defense industry, which does not defend us, or the industry of automobile manufacturing. If we stopped manufacturing automobiles today, we would have plenty of automobiles to last us a very long time. And I think we should almost completely eliminate the manufacture of new automobiles. We should allow for things like ambulances and uh, fire engines. But for the most part, we have plenty of automobiles. We have more than enough automobiles. We have more than enough trucks 
to last us a very long time. We have more than enough airplanes to last us a very long time. We have enough tanks and uh, navy ships to last us, you know, army tanks and navy ships to last us a very long time. Even under the assumption that we need to use all that stuff to defend ourselves, which we don't. Another thing we need to eliminate almost entirely is new pipelines, new roads, and new buildings. We have plenty to last us a very long time if we will but use what we already have. And if we did that, you know, if we eliminated some of these things that I'm talking about, we would eliminate half of the economy. And we can do that if we provide a social wage such as a universal basic income, Medicare for all. Uh, we also need strong collective bargaining. We also need to completely and entirely change the way we grow and consume food. And we'll be talking about that in this article because Iowa is a big farming state. But what they use their land for is, you know, it, it, you know, agriculture is an industry that needs to be completely and entirely restructured. So some people might panic when I say eliminate half the economy. It's like, ah, that means depression and that means people lose their jobs. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, the economy is supposed to be something that delivers to us what we need and want. But the economy that we have does not do a good job at all of delivering to us what we need and want. So we need to think, you know, we need to eliminate those parts of the economy that serve mainly to concentrate power and money into the hands of a very few. That includes the fossil fuel industry. That includes the automobile industry. It serves and operates to concentrate power into the hands of a very few. The airline industry is the same way. It serves to concentrate power into the hands of a very few. For that matter, we need real and genuine democracy because all of these industries I'm talking about would not exist in their current form if the people were truly allowed to democratically control the economy. Furthermore, we need an economy and a government that is willing to put people first. And the thing that gets in the way of putting people first is ideology. Two ideologies get in the way of putting people first. One is the ideology of American exceptionalism, as if the United States has such a unique role to play in the world that we should have a worldwide empire and we should have full spectrum dominance. We should be able to dominate the air, the land, the sea, space, and cyberspace. That it, there's no reason for the United States to dominate the air, the land, the sea, space, and cyberspace. When we do that, we are told we are defending ourselves, but we're not defending ourselves. We're defending the economic system that serves a very, very few. So I'm saying we need to completely rethink and restructure our economic system.
and our economic system should be uh, should put people first if putting people first is not the the unquestionable priority number one for putting people first ought to be the number one priority and if and if putting people first is not the number one priority i want to know why this latest you know both covid release covid relief bills this year in 20 and in early you know you know early 20 like march of um, 2020 and december of 2020 both covid relief bills were massive giveaways to wall street to the military industrial complex giveaways to other countries for military spending none of that puts people first it only serves to concentrate power and money into the hands of a very very few so i said earlier that ideology is what gets in the way of putting people first one ideology is american exceptionalism the other ideology is a free market as if you know we're taught about a free market a competitive system a free enterprise system as if the government does not pick sides as if the government does not pick winners as if the government does not use its power to favor one group over another or to put it another way we have socialism in this country it's it's socialism for the rich it's using the power of the government to advance the material interests of a very few people so let's get back to Iowa. So, you know, I'm going to be calling into question clean energy and renewable energy. I think clean energy and renewable energy are terms that are used to advance a certain agenda. And the agenda is to maintain the energy consumption that we have and to maintain the political and economic system that we have when we need to drastically reduce our energy consumption and we need to completely change the political and economic system that we have and you know we can we i'm saying when i say we can cut the economy in half what i'm saying is we can cut our energy consumption in half and we can do that in a way that average people either won't see or it won't be bad for the average person for example if we were all of a sudden to eliminate the manufacture of new cars then we uh, then we would have a whole lot of energy to spare we could you know we could stop consuming the energy required for manufacturing new cars and we need to get the federal and state government to stop spending transportation dollars on highways and start spending transportation dollars on alternative modes of transportation. Every automobile is a tax. Every automobile on average is an $8,000 per year drain on the family budget and almost all of that eight thousand dollars per year goes out of the local economy 
the, that $8,000 a year goes to the car companies, it goes to the big banks for financing, it goes to the insurance companies, and it goes to oil companies when we buy the gasoline for our cars. So almost all of the money we spend on cars goes outside of the local economy. How about if we had some of that money to spend inside the local economy? The local economy would be much more vibrant. So when Des Moines, Iowa decides to get most or all of their, or they're, they're, they're trying to move towards so-called clean and renewable energy, to me, they're putting in place systems that continue to send money out of the local economy and putting in place systems that keep us all on a treadmill of working too much and keeping too little of what we earn. So in this article by Dan Guarino, they're talking to a man who heads up the energy company, it says uh, it will require, he said, going to carbon-free electricity will require new investments in technology. Okay, so I highlighted investments in technology. So when I see technology, a couple of red flags come up. One red flag is, you know, we kind of worship technology. We've been taught to worship technology, and we've been taught that technology means electronics technology. And one problem with technology, and it's been going on for decades, if not longer, and that is the people don't get paid back for their investments in technology. We spend, you know, we uh, most of the technological development occurs through the Defense Department. So they scare the heck out of us, making us think that the communists are going to come and get us, or the terrorists are going to come and get us, or the narco-traffickers are, are going to come and get us. And so we spend all this money on weaponry and in, the, and in systems, including computer technology. You know, computer technology would not exist if the Defense Department had not spent money on it for countless, I was going to say countless generations, actually three or four or five, three or four generations from 1945 to 1975 and beyond, the Defense Department spent a whole lot of money on computer technology. That's why we have computer technology. And yet the computer technology, even though the public paid for it, the public is not getting paid back for it, nor does the public get the opportunity to control the technology that we develop. So technology is being used against us. Google and Facebook and Apple are using te technology against us uh, for surveillance. Not so much Apple probably, but definitely Google and Facebook. You know, the, the NSA keeps all of our data so weapons, weapons technology is used against us. Surveillance technology is used against us. So you know, I wish we would define technology more broadly to mean technology is just a word for solving problems. So let's solve problems, but let's not assume that the solutions to our problems 
involve more and more and more technology because electronics technology has a lot of side effects. For one thing, it uses a lot of energy. For another thing, it uses a lot of metals. And slave labor is used for the metals. I did a whole you know, couple of uh, episodes on slave labor that is, you know, slave labor, such as in the People's Republic of Congo, there's 40,000 slaves, and the ones that aren't slaves are low paid. So our technology, such as it is, has a human cost. It doesn't have to be that way, but we have to get these companies under control. We have to get Apple. And, okay, so the companies that were named in that episode in, in that article that I was reviewing on that episode. It, it included Apple, uh, Volkswagen, Samsung, Daimler. So these are multi-billion dollar companies. Some, some of these companies are worth a, a trillion dollars, like Apple at, at times has been worth a trillion dollars altogether. But multi-billion dollar companies that can't seem to figure out which of their materials are coming from slave labor, and it's because they're not required to figure out which of their materials come from slave labor. So as long as we have an economic system where these big powerful companies are willing to exploit slaves, then they're not, the only reason you and I aren't slaves, if we aren't, it's because we have the power and other people don't. But you know, we're not going to save the climate if we continue to use slave labor and exploit the natural resources of other companies at the expense of their people, at the expense of their water, at the expense of their air, at the expense of their agricultural lands. So I was saying that there are a couple of problems that come to mind when I see the word technology. One is that we are taught to worship technology as if technology comes from these big powerful companies. Instead, you know, it comes from us. It comes from our tax dollars. And we don't get paid back for it and we don't get to control it. So when, whether it's Biden's climate plan or whether it's Des Moines' plan for going to clean and renewable energy, when we're being asked to invest in technology, we're being asked to invest in something that we don't control and it has a lot of side effects. So when we see the word technology, it needs to be a red flag, not a messiah or a hero. So the head of this energy company says, uh, we're going to have to uh, it says, says carbon-free electricity will require new investments in technology. In other words, give me your money. Give me your money. And we're going to take that money and we're going to put it into things that you cannot control. And you will not reap the profits from it. Another spokesman for the energy company says uh, the company's system needs to be completely clean of fossil fuels by 2035, so completely clean, it suggests that, you know, that solar power and wind power are clean sources of energy. I, I object to that. Anything involving technology takes lots of metals. There's an incredible array of metals that goes into solar panels and windmills and electric cars, including silicon, graphite, nickel, cobalt, uh, silver, plus you have steel and aluminum, 
All of this requires petroleum. Some of it requires graphite, which is a very high carbon uh, form of fossil fuel. There's a really powerful scene in Planet of the Humans at 36 minutes. Planet of the Humans, look it up, please. It used to be free on YouTube. Now you have to pay for it. But I've, I've copied a segment of it with permission from the movie maker. Uh, email me at info at theclimatereport.net if you want me to send you a two-minute segment from Planet of the Humans. And I, I can even show you a place on YouTube where you can get half of the movie free. But there's just an incredible two-minute scene that goes, you know, through all of the... It, it shows pictures and videos of places where you get all these materials. I mean, there's an incredible array of materials that are needed to make anything that, that's called clean and renewable energy. And maybe we need to do some of that but we don't need to do ridiculous amounts of that. And what we're moving toward today is we're moving toward doing ridiculous amounts of projects called clean and renewable energy. So we're talking about Des Moines, Iowa. Iowa is farming country. We could do so much better with how we use our land. You know, when you think of Iowa, a lot of it is corn. And the, you know, the corn, these big operations that grow corn, uh, the corn is genetically modified, which allows you to spray herbicides in it. So, and the herbicide is Roundup, and Roundup is a known carcinogen. Plus, when you use Roundup to spray and eliminate all the wildflowers, you take away food for bees and butterflies and birds. We need to take these huge farms, and for one thing, we need to stop subsidizing uh, these big monocrops. We need to stop subsidizing corn ethanol. We need to stop subsidizing cotton. We need to stop subsidizing concentrated animal feeding operations. And we need to divide these farms up. We need to allow farmers to sell their land in parcels of, say, you know, 20 acres, 30 acres, 50 acres, 100 acres, plots that are small enough for people to do the farming sustainably. And then we need to have a universal basic income so that people who want to farm can do so and so that they don't have to exploit the land or overuse or exhaust the land just to make a living. But farming the way it's done today is a catastrophe. And I'm saying, Des Moines, you're talking about all this clean, so-called clean and renewable energy which is just kind of an illusion that helps us maintain this industrial system that does not serve the vast majority of people, and it does serve to concentrate power and money into the hands of a very few. And it, you know, in industry, such as it is now, is the death of the planet. Not least of all, farming, such as it is now, is the death of the planet. 
there are very few industries. I think farming, I think agriculture is the number one most destructive industry the way it is done now. And that could be done right. It could be, we could be doing our agriculture the way Joel Salatin does it in, uh, in Virginia. We could be doing our agriculture the way Mark Shepard does it in Wisconsin. We could be doing our agriculture the way Vandana Shiva from India recommends that we do our agriculture. Small, sustainable, organic farms that have biodiversity, where you're not tilling up all the land, where you're not using expensive, destructive fertilizer, and you're not using expensive, destructive, toxic pesticides. We could be doing our farming that way, and it would save a whole lot in fossil fuels. But no, we're not doing it that way, are we? We're just, hey, if we, no matter what we're doing, if we can put solar panels on it, then that makes it clean and renewable. No matter what we're doing, if we put up a windmill, that makes it clean and renewable. No matter what we're doing, if you go to work in an electric car, that makes it clean and renewable. But that is an illusion. And that is an expensive, dangerous illusion. And I repeat, what we need to do is not necessarily generate more energy with solar and wind. We need to generate a whole lot less energy by changing the way industry is structured. Mainly, we need to eliminate half of, of our industry because at least half of our industry does not serve the needs and interests of people. It says here, the city and other, talk about Des Moines, Iowa, the city and others will need to build more renewable energy and make large investments in battery storage. So the people of Des Moines, Iowa are going to make large investments in battery storage. Battery storage means lithium because you, battery storage means lithium ion batteries. It's not the only technology, but it is the prevailing state of the art technology for batteries. Lithium mining is very destructive of the environment. We probably ought to do some of that, but we should not be doing too much of that. I saw an estimate that the demand for lithium is going to increase 14-fold in the next decade. If we understood how destructive lithium mining was, and if we cared, and if we demanded that our industrial leaders care, and if we demanded that our political leaders care, we would not be pushing for all this mining of lithium. What right do we have to ruin the, uh, the salt flats in Bolivia and Chile and Argentina, which together have maybe half of the world's lithium? What right do we have to ruin the ancestral lands of indigenous peoples? And somebody might say, well, these little sacrifices are worth it. And I say, worth it to who? Who gets to decide if these sacrifices are worth it? Do the American people get to decide? 
you know, that would be great if we American people were making these decisions. But currently, people like Elon Musk are making these decisions. The, uh, you know, the CEO and founder of Tesla, which has not only the electric cars, but also battery technologies. I have about 30 seconds left. Let me leave you with something to think about. If we are going to survive, we need to put people first. And we need to demand that our government put people first. If we don't put people first, we're just going to be sold by one charlatan after another, after another, after another. Let's not be sold by charlatans, and let's not let charlatans sell out the interests and well-being of other people in other countries. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 302. We're talking about Des Moines, Iowa's clean energy resolution. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback about this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So the city of Des Moines, Iowa, just this week, has decided to do a clean energy resolution, let's read and comment. It says, establishing a new greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals and a community 24-7 carbon-free electricity goal for the city of Des Moines. Whereas the city of Des Moines is responsible for securing the economic, physical, and social well-being of current and future residents, and whereas the transition to a 24-7 zero-carbon community reliant on the efficient use of a mix of carbon-free electricity resources will provide a range of benefits including but not limited to reduced greenhouse gas emissions, improved air quality, enhanced public health, business attraction, local job growth, increased resilience and energy security, and Whereas there is a scientific consensus regarding the reality of climate change and the connection between human activity, especially the combustion of fossil fuels that create greenhouse gases and warming of the planet, and whereas the 2018 report of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, found that to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, there would need to be a 45% reduction of greenhouse gases from 2010 levels by 2030 and a need to reach net zero by 2050. And whereas the city of Des Moines is already experiencing the effects of climate change locally through increased temperatures, changes in water systems, extreme weather events, such as the record rainfalls and flooding of June 30th, 2018, the derecho of August 10, 2020, and other disruptions that threaten our economy, residents, and overall quality of life, 
And whereas inaction perpetuates inequity and ensures the burdens of climate hazards will be borne by the city's most marginalized and vulnerable residents, and whereas carbon-free energy resources paired with energy storage and microgrids, where feasible, are important strategies to build disaster resilience into our communities and will assist with disaster recovery and ensuring equitable distribution of the benefits of these resources is imperative to adequately prepare for disasters, particularly those exacerbated by climate change. Whereas the mayor has pledged to uphold the Paris Climate Agreement is the Interim President of Local Governments for Sustainability, ICLEI International, and has established the Task Force on Sustainability, which seeks to commission a comprehensive climate action plan to attain greenhouse gas reduction goals. And whereas Guide DSM and Plan DSM commit the city to foster sustainable communities and the city has pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions 28% by 2025, further demonstrating this commitment by enacting the Energy and Water Use Benchmarking Ordinance and initiating a Climate Action and Adaptation Planning Process, CAP, and whereas a host of solutions exist to provide reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy while reducing demand and emissions, including but not limited to solar, wind, energy storage, geothermal, biomass, energy efficiency, demand control technologies, carbon sequestration and waste reduction, water systems technologies and tree planting, and whereas new and existing buildings must play a key role in reducing energy demand through smart building technologies, grid interaction, electrification, and efficiency with residential, commercial, and industrial energy uses accounting for 73% of Des Moines greenhouse gas emissions in 2017, and whereas transportation advancements, including electric vehicles, intermodal transit, and pedestrian and bicycle-oriented streets offer solutions to limit harmful vehicle emissions, reduce congestion, and support vibrant neighborhoods. And whereas the City of Des Moines and the Greater Des Moines community rely on MidAmerican Energy Company for electricity, who is committed to a 100% carbon-free energy vision for its Iowa residents, and who under Green Advantage deliver approximately 83% of its customers' energy needs from renewable sources in 2020. Whereas many corporations value reliable, low-cost, carbon-free energy when considering sites for business retention and expansion, such as data centers, distribution, and manufacturing facilities, making clean energy a valuable tool for economic development, and whereas the city can accelerate the local clean energy transition by partnering with stakeholders to support carbon-free energy resources, and the city will continue to pursue options for renewable energy systems on government buildings and properties through ownership and power purchase agreements, develop public electric vehicle charging infrastructure, and phase in electric fleet vehicles, non-road equipment, and public transportation, 
Now therefore be it resolved by the City Council of the City of Des Moines, Iowa, that the City hereby updates its greenhouse gas emissions goals to align with IPCC, that's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC recommendations and commits to developing partnerships that advance a 45% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from 2010 levels by 2030 and to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Be it further resolved that the city hereby commits to a community-wide goal of achieving 100% 24-7 electricity from carbon-free sources by 2035. Be it further resolved that the city manager and his designees are directed to work with utility partners, businesses, residents, and community stakeholders to identify a collaborative approach to achieve the emissions targets and energy goals with meaningful benchmarks and milestones between now and the target years referenced in this resolution. And then it goes on to the formalities of witnessing and signing the document. Now let's go through this and, and, and I'm going to go back up to the top of the document. By the way, if you want a copy of this document, just email me at info at theclimatereport.net and I would be happy to send it your way. So you will find that I'm skeptical of much of what is in this document and I, I want to be able to share with you my thoughts so that you might approach such documents and such terminology and such resolutions with, a, with some critical thinking skills. So the title of the document is Establishing New Greenhouse Gas Emissions Reduction Goals. So greenhouse gas emissions, greenhouse gases include carbon dioxide, it includes methane, it includes nitrous oxide, and one of the really curious things about this is this is Des Moines, Iowa. Iowa is big farming country. Unfortunately, much of Iowa has been taken over by these big mega farms. And, you know, the, the, uh, Iowa has gone from seven congressional districts to four congressional districts in recent years. So there's been a tremendous reduction of the population of Iowa because people can't make a living there anymore. Many people would love to stay on the family farm and do that business, but family farmers have been driven out of business by these big agricultural operations. And I say you can't put forth an intelligent plan for greenhouse gas reduction in Iowa unless you address the sick, uh, the, the, the dysfunctional system that is farming. And yet this resolution says nothing about farming. And I know Des Moines is just one city in a state. But the curious thing is that the, green, the, um, the climate action proposals that get a lot of press are the ones where somebody is selling you something. Somebody is selling you solar panels. Somebody is selling you windmills. Somebody is selling you energy grid. Somebody is selling you energy storage. You know, a lot of the things that we can do for climate action involve doing less, not more. So this resolution presents plans where we're doing a lot of things, new things and different things, but it hardly says, it doesn't say anything about doing less. 
It, it doesn't say anything about the structure of the farms. It doesn't say anything about the structure of the transportation system. So in Hart-Hagen's perfect world, starting from where we are now, we would reduce our energy consumption by half. And the way we reduce our energy consumption by half is eliminating that half of the economy that is harmful and sick and is harmful to people, harmful to the environment. It does nothing for anybody except concentrating power and wealth into the hands of a very few. Our transportation system is like that. It doesn't serve the needs and interests of people. It serves to concentrate power and wealth into the hands of a very few. The average car costs $8,000 per year to own and operate. But you have to have a car to get around because that's the way our transportation system is designed. And when they send transportation dollars from the federal government to the state level or from the state level to the local level, they're sending you money for roads. They're not sending you any money for trains and buses. So if this is a plan that proposes to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but it says, it does say something about transportation. I just don't think it says enough. And uh, if you're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, you know, you have to restructure farming. We have to get our food locally. If we're, and we, we need small, organic, sustainable, biologically diverse farms. So it says, whereas the city of Des Moines is responsible for securing the economic, physical, and social well-being of current and future residents. Okay, let's talk about what's really needed to secure the economic, physical, and social well-being of residents. If you're serious about securing the economic, physical, and social well-being of residents, then we need to restructure our farming system. For one thing, our farms, uh, you know, the farms in Iowa do not primarily grow food for people. It grows corn for ethanol, uh, it grows corn for high fructose corn syrup, and it grows food for, for animal feed. And it's important to feed animals, but these concentrated animal feeding operations are very cruel. They put out a lot of greenhouse gases. They put out a lot of pollution into the air. They put out a lot of pollution into the water. And they create a whole list of diseases according to the Centers for, for Disease Control. And the farming and food system is controlled by a few giant corporations that are basically monopolies. So if you're going to take responsible for the economic, physical, and social well-being of your people, we need to deal with these big food monopolies that have a stranglehold on our food system and a stranglehold on farmers. They have made family farming a, 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 an, an impossible task. Farmers are willing to work around the clock because they, I mean, not all farmers, but there are farmers that are willing to work around the clock. and People shouldn't have to work around the clock. You should be able to have a viable farming business growing healthy food while working normal hours, but that's not possible. 
Next paragraph, whereas the transition to 24-7 zero carbon community reliant on the efficient use of carbon-free electricity, electric energy resources, start over, whereas the transition of a 24-7 zero carbon community reliant on the efficient use of a mix of carbon-free electric energy resources will provide a range of benefits, including but not limited to reduced greenhouse gas emissions, improved air quality, enhanced public health, business attraction, local job growth, increased resilience and energy security. Well, I really disagree with this paragraph. It's saying that if we make this transition to so-called carbon-free electricity, then it will have all these benefits. It will limit greenhouse gas emissions, it will improve air quality, it will enhance public health, it will attract businesses, it'll create growth with local jobs, it'll make our community more resilient and more energy secure. So one thing, it uses the term carbon-free electricity. I'm sorry, I don't think there is such thing as carbon-free electricity in the foreseeable future. Making solar panels is an extremely carbon intensive process as well as making windmills. And it's not just carbon. If I were an evil genius wanting to do in the human race, I would get them to narrowly focus on carbon and forget that what we're trying to do is to save and preserve and cultivate the natural world. Carbon is not nature. Decarbonization is not conservation. And one thing that concerns me is that these moves are complex. You know, we're, we're, we're making proposals that are complex. Most people don't understand. Most people cannot critique. Most people cannot evaluate. And we're being led down a garden path and you know, just strictly from the standpoint of carbon, we need to look at the carbon that is generated when we manufacture things. When you manufacture cars, a lot of carbon is generated. When you manufacture solar panels, a lot of carbon is generated. When you manufacture windmills, a lot of carbon is generated. Plus, all of this stuff requires electronics. Currently, the supply chains for electronic devices are completely unethical and unsustainable. We have children, you know, we have slave labor mining cobalt in the People's Republic of Congo. Slave labor goes into every device that we have. Every cell phone, every laptop requires slave labor. And until we take steps to reduce uh, to, to get rid of the slave. We could get rid. We have the power. The United States has the power to eliminate slave labor, and we choose not to do it. Companies like Apple and Samsung and Volkswagen and, you know, all the car companies, uh, cars are, have an increasing amount of electronics in them. All that stuff requires dirty mining and slave labor. We could stop it, but we don't. The next paragraph says, whereas the, there is scientific consensus regarding the reality of climate change and the connection between human activity, especially the combustion of fossil fuels that create greenhouse gases and warming of the planet. Okay, yeah, there's a connection between climate change and human activity. It does not follow 
that the way to address the issue is to make a lot of solar panels and windmills and electric cars and battery storage. You know, if you want to burn less fossil fuels, then burn less fossil fuels. But it, the way to do that is to eliminate the industries that burn, that needlessly burn fossil fuels. We have a defense department that is about 5% of the economy. It costs every taxpayer three to $5,000 a year, depending on what you include. There's a lot of carbon generated in that. It's a completely useless activity in that it does not defend us. If you think the Defense Department defends us, then we need to talk about American history for the last 70 years. The Defense Department does not defend us. Another carbon intensive activity that could be eliminated immediately, and that is the manufacture of new cars. If we, we could completely eliminate the manufacture of new cars, and how much carbon would that save? How much, how much would that reduce pollution? We generate 17 million new cars a year in the United States, 65 million new cars a year worldwide. Most of those are internal combustion engines, but even the electric cars have a surprisingly, make a surprisingly small difference. Electric cars are just a consumer product. And you know, there's something that has to be manufactured. There's something that requires an enormous supply chain. So it says here, there's a connection between climate change and human activity. Yeah, so let's target those human activities that are the, that are the worst. And in Iowa, the human activity that is the worst is farming. And it's not, you know, farming could be done sustainably. Farming could be done on small, biologically diverse family farms that grow actual food. But currently in Iowa, you have these big mega farms that don't grow actual food. They grow modified corn, I mean, genetically modified corn. So you have corn as far as the eye can see or soybeans as far as the eye can see. And the, the cattle and chickens and pigs that they raise don't get to roam uh, freely like animals should. They get pent up in these concentrated animal feeding operations that are unspeakably cruel. An animal lives its entire life barely being able to move, falling all over and crawling all over other animals. And when an animal dies, they just stay there and get trampled on. You have corn that's being raised by carbon intensive fertilizers that puts nitrous oxide into the air. You have, you have toxic pesticides, toxic insecticides that are harmful to people. And, you know, and the thing is with these big monocrops, if you have to kill every bug, then that's not any way to do farming small biologically diverse farms, you don't have to kill every bug. In fact, you know, a small biologically diverse farm is one where the ecosystem itself is your pest control. We have pest outbreaks because we don't have ecosystems of predators that are able to control the pests. 
So yes, there's a connection between climate change and human activity, but let's look at the human activities that can be eliminated without much harm to people. And, you know, I mean, farming such as it is done now is a human activity that's very harmful to people. Farming could be done. You know, we raise 95 or 99% of our food in ways that are completely unsustainable. So let's stop doing that. And the way to do that is land reform. Distribute land to in, a, in parcels of 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 acres to people who can raise food sustainably and ecologically. The next paragraph says, whereas the 2018 report of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, found that to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, there would need to be a 45% reduction of greenhouse gases from 2010 levels uh, by 2030, and a need to reach net zero by 2050. Okay, I agree with this goal. By the way, if you start with 2010 as the baseline, and reduced by 25%, I mean 45%, there's going to have to be an even greater reduction between 2020 and 2030. And the way to achieve those goals, in my view, is not to go really intensive with solar power and wind power and electric cars. In fact, my prediction, I hope I'm proven wrong, but my prediction is that there's got to be a lot of quote-unquote investment in solar panels, windmills, and electric cars, and we're going to find that there is no net reduction in our fossil fuels, or if there is a net reduction in our fossil fuels, it's not enough. And even with a net reduction in fossil fuels, you still have lots of other types of destruction and pollution that need to be dealt with, but are not dealt with, and are only getting worse. Besides, climate change is not the only problem we have to deal with. There's an even greater underlying problem, and that is the sixth mass extinction. We have rapid extinction of species, and humans are not going to survive the sixth mass extinction if it keeps going on. Yet it is going on. It has been going on for 50 years. We have maybe half of the wildlife that we had 50 years ago. We have species disappearing at a rate about a hundred times faster than the normal natural background rate. And solar panels and windmills and electric cars are not going to do anything to address the problem of the sixth mass extinction. Show me a solar panel advocate who has a plan for addressing the sixth mass extinction. Show me a windmill ad, uh, advocate that has a plan for addressing the sixth mass extinction. Show me an advocate of electric cars who has a plan for addressing the sixth mass extinction. Next paragraph. Whereas the city of Des Moines is already experiencing the effects of climate change locally through increased temperatures, changes in water systems, extreme weather events such as the record rainfalls and flooding of June 30, 2018, the derecho of August 10, 2020, and other disruptions that threaten our economy, residents, and overall quality of life. Okay, yeah, we have these problems. What are we going to do about them? 
can you, can you seriously address any of these problems without radically transforming our transportation system and radically transform, uh, transforming our system of food and farming? I don't think so. In fact, I'm pretty sure of that, and I would like to be able to, to debate that very issue with somebody who wants to prioritize solar panels, windmills, and electric cars, as well as battery storage and microgrids, which all goes along with that. So this paragraph mentions flooding. Hello, can we talk about how our farms can be designed for, uh, for hydration, not drainage? When the rain falls, the farms need to capture that water. We could eliminate flooding if our farms and our forests had uh, water retention systems instead of drainage systems. But our farms and forests are not designed for water capture or retention. They are designed for drainage. One person's drainage is another person's flood. If I drain the water off of my land, if my land is designed to drain the water off, then somebody downstream is going to get flooded. Besides, all this farmland needs to have more trees, but that's something we're going to have to pick up on another episode. So I've got about 30 seconds left. Let me leave you with something to think about. For one thing, Email info at theclimatereport.net if you have any questions, comments, or observations about this content. Now, one last thought. Be careful of people who want to solve climate change by selling you something. There are lots of people, and some of them very powerful people, who want to solve climate change by selling you something. And the things that they're selling you, whether they're electric cars or windmills or uh, electronics devices or solar panels or microgrids or smart grids or smart thermostats, all of that may have a place, but in balance with the solutions that don't cost us anything, in fact, could save us money. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.